All right. So the first thing I want to tell you guys is that last year we did a research review on just the science of protein. And I spent a lot of time going through what has become a, a collective venture called the Protein Summit, which is a multidisciplinary um, gathering. I, I don't know if it's annual or just every couple of years, but researchers just get together in different locations and they, they present just like any science conference, new information, new research. People have their, their white papers and so forth that they're, they're presenting. And through the years, they've just been incredibly consistent on coming down to the same place on how much protein we need for certain reasons. And when it comes to living just a healthy, active life, it has been strong consensus that about two times the RDA is, uh, is just kind of the tip or the top of that bell curve. And up to maybe three times the RDA has some benefit sometimes for some people, typically, you know, fast met metabolic capacities, uh, people who are uh, really putting themselves in a catabolic state uh, quite often through dieting and through aggressive training. But, you know, two times the RDA, if you look at that, uh, you know, eight tenths of a, of a gram of protein per kilogram of body weight, uh, if you look at the, I always use myself as an example, you know, 175, 180 pounds, you're looking at about 60 or so grams of protein a day, two times the RDA would put you at about 120. I think most people who are interested in nutrition as we are, would even say that two times the RDA sounds pretty low. I, I have females who come to me sometimes eating, uh, you know, 50 or hundred percent more than that. And that's where you get into some issues of, it's just not necessary um, if there are any side effects with, you know, some of the purported issues, uh, renal stress and so forth, you know, that's where you're going to start picking some of those up. And as I was doing this research review for today, there's at least one, there, there, I, I have four studies I'm going to chat about, but at least one of them really had that mindset where they were almost looking for every reason to not recommend protein. So that mindset is still in a, a major part of dietetics. But again, the, the people on the cutting edge of research are, are very fairly and based on research, you know, landing at that two times ERDA. And I think it's sometimes to our detriment to go higher because if it's not necessary, if there are no extra anabolic or metabolic effects, it's just taking away from calories, primarily from carbs that could give you more anabolic or metabolic impact. So that's where I'm, I'm really, really happy the last 10 to 15 years that the entire industry has really come back from the edge of, of just being too extreme. But today, instead of talking about just how much protein we need for our best health, I really wanted to look at if there is research out there uh, on protein's direct impact on fat loss. Does just consuming more protein mean I will lose more body fat? So that was a question I wanted to answer. Um, the reason off camera, I said, I hope I don't let you guys down because I got tangled up in a bunch of studies. And sometimes I think probably our, our biggest model uh, in, in our Friday research reviews, I'll find one study or one meta-analysis that I, that I think answers the question we're investigating best. And we'll kind of pick it apart. We'll go through the methodology. We'll, we'll look at the highs and the lows, the things that they did well, what maybe still be an unanswered question. 
today with four studies, the reason I went with four is to compare and contrast. So I'm not going to get into some of the details of these studies uh, and certainly don't trust me, but I will say that all of them were really well done. I mean, they went into some incredible statistical analysis. Uh, each one of them did uh, very uh, aggressive labs, blood work, DEXA scans, urinalysis testing. Uh, these were not simple light studies. But let me let me point. I'm, I'm going to just go through them sequentially, uh, and, and then we'll we'll kind of compare and contrast a little bit at the end. But this was the first one I came across, and I just thought this is too bizarre not to at least read. And then the more I read, the more I thought, okay, I've got to I've got to report on this one. So it's a little bit tangential to the question, but protein supplementation during an energy restricted diet induces visceral fat loss and gut mi microbiota, amino acid metabolism activation, a randomized trial. So first of all, it is a calorie restricted diet. You know, they're, they're in a deficit. Uh, they're looking at protein supplementation versus not supplementing protein. And they really wanted to look at uh, at least a question in research that I did not really know existed, which is when you look at the microbiome, the bacterial flora in your intestinal tract, it, we, we know it, it impacts everything with health, but I was not clear that there even was a, an answer or a question as to can that completely disrupt your overall fat loss? Can your gut microbiome, and, and I know part of that you would think like, of course it can because of digestive health, but I mean like direct metabolic impact. And so there's a, there's a really cool kind of answer here. So here, here's how this study went, 107 subjects, um, average age, almost 48, 44 were men, 63 female, average BMI, 32, so moderately overweight double-blind randomized placebo-controlled intervention, which is what you'd want. Uh, the test group, now here's what was interesting. The test group used a milk protein supplement specifically, and the control group was lower in protein, but they also wanted to use uh, a non-milk isolate. So they used a pea protein, uh, and they supplemented with these two times a day. And they, that what they looked at was, first of all, that, you know, this is a higher protein versus a lower protein intervention. So the test group, 34% of their calories were from protein, the control group, 21%. Uh, and I would say 21% is probably kind of average. That's where you're getting close. That's, that's even a little bit higher than the RDA. An RDA level for most people would be about 15%. Uh, if you're doing it that way, you know, you've got that 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight as the RDA, you can do the math on that for pounds. Uh, some people like to get, I think it's kind of lazy to say, well, just eat like one gram of protein per pound of weight or whatever. I think you can be a little bit closer to, you know, an accurate level by staying away from that. But uh, this was a 600 calorie restriction diet. So I, I would consider that they, they call that a mild, I consider that pretty moderate, you know, you're going to lose about a pound a week. And then they were doing this insane amount of, of, you know, microbiome testing. So they're taking samples in people's guts. 
And they, they had uh, each group, you know, kind of flip. They, they did before and afters on the impact of this on the gut microbiome and then have had people flip. So they do the other part of the study. And here's what happened. Um, so first of all, you had, uh, you know, 12 weeks of the diet only. So they, they kind of baselined it out everybody. When they do these tests, when I said that, that these, these study models were really good, you know, you first have to go through metabolic cart testing, make sure, you know, everybody's resting metabolic rates. You, you have to have them checked periodically because as they go through a calorie deficit and their body mass changes, that could alter. So when they want to do something like control the pace, they want to make sure everybody has the same amount of food. That same amount of food is different for everybody based on your metabolic needs, your body size and so forth. So they baseline everybody out. They see what everybody really needs. Then they do the intervention and then, you know, so that was with the diet only, like if you just dieted, you know, in those 12 weeks, how does that change your, your gut microbiome? And then you do the different, the two different supplementations, one that's higher in milk protein, one that's not, and you're looking at those changes in your, your GI tract. So you end up with, uh, let me see here. If you get into the, uh, over here, the, the 12 weeks, you know, with diet and supplementation, I'm looking over here at protein, uh, you're getting up to 134 grams of protein a day. Uh, and like I said, that's, that's a good amount. That's, that's two times the RDA for a pretty large person. I mean, somebody who weighs 190, 200 pounds, and then the control group is down here at 87 and a half. And that's where I think you're probably still for most people, at about 1.25 to 1.5 times the RDA. So this, this to me, because this is a question we're gonna have in the discussion section at the very end, we have to be able to see what they're really testing. So if this was all the way down to the RDA, which I do have one study that does that. So imagine these protein levels being cut in half. Well, when you're comparing a protein supplement with that level versus this versus maybe even higher, I think you could expect some different results. But this, this just as a matter of study design is a pretty good amount of protein. I think this is in line with what anybody on this call would, would expect. So I think that at least makes it very relevant for us to be looking at. So, okay, let me get back where it was. The high protein group, here's, 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 the, here's the, uh, the actual results. The people who had the higher protein amount actually lost 30% more visceral fat. So remember, this is an isocaloric diet. The other group had more carbs and just less protein. Um, so right off the bat, with an isocaloric diet group, you can see that going up to two times the RDA, as I estimate that to be with these subjects, versus about 1.25, you literally had more fat loss. So getting your protein levels up in this particular study made a pretty significant difference. Uh, the de decrease in weight, fat mass, and visceral fat mass significantly correlated with the increase in microbial diversity. So this is where it gets really interesting. Protein supplementation and this is what they, this, they, they, they ran the, these data a couple different ways, just on the higher protein, but also having specifically the milk protein uh, stimulated bacterial amino acid metabolism, 
90% in the test group versus 13 in the control group. So either just having more protein or that type of protein made a difference. And, and here's where a lot of protein studies and people who for some reason have an animosity toward a higher protein intake, they will typically say protein's bad for you. Protein decreases immunity. Protein makes your body leach calcium and you're going to have all these extra problems like arteriosclerosis. Well, this study actually showed that even inflammatory markers like C-reactive protein were significantly lower. And in a couple other studies, you're going to see this confirmed. They're not testing wacky, super ridiculous levels of protein, but at least getting up to those levels that the protein summit would say is accurate or appropriate, two times the RDA, you actually had even better health. So more fat loss and, and better health. Um, Here's an interesting, just conclusive remark that I wanted to, to report, you know, word by word. There is accumulating evidence of protein-derived metabolites influencing host metabolism, gut microbiota. Protein metabolism may constitute a key pathophysiological link between obesity, fat mass development, and metabolic complications. So again, you would have to look at this actual study and see the insane amount of statistical analysis they did on every single type of bacterium in our GI system. And what these, you know, people going through one phase of this study, then having that washout period going through the other, baselining, diet only, then, then the, the test group and the control group. This was a big part of the study. It wasn't just does increased protein help with fat loss? That's, that's what I wanted to present to you guys today. But this was not only does protein increase visceral fat loss, so intra-organ, you know, trunk, which, which is going to come up in another study, um, with, with just a complete calorie for calorie isocaloric change between carbohydrates, because fat was the same, it was just higher carbs or higher protein. Um, but what is happening in your gut microbiome, they are saying, has direct impact on cellular metabolism. And I'm not going to get too deep into this, but here's, here's why. When you have proteins that are difficult to digest, they're, they're not your simple, everybody talks about things like the, the um, bioavailability of like a whey protein isolate and things like that. But a milk protein concentrate, something that's a little bit harder to break down, these end up in your large intestine and further down your small intestine where they absolutely don't get digested. And so the bacteria, the, the good, so to speak, bacteria in your large intestine now have protein that they can consume. And that ends up strengthening the, your gut microbiome in, in the sense of you, you have more of the good bacteria that you want. And then that creates a better digestive health, which can increase better absorption and so forth. And so there, there's a, a cascade of biochemical events that happen that meet that just because you have a little bit of extra protein that you can't necessarily digest and assimilate in your upper GI so you would say it's almost a little extra. You don't, you, you're not going to get this for protein synthesis. You're not going to get this for muscle recovery. <clears throat> it's the fact that it's getting to your large intestine undigested. And now you have a better um, food source, if you will, for those good bacteria. 
<clears throat> so I don't think this is going to change anybody's life on this particular chat, because I'm sure you all get enough protein. But it was interesting that, th that this study and a couple other that I'm going to talk about really look at these whey protein and milk protein constituents. So I think we're ready for the next study. This one is the effect of an energy restricted, high protein, low fat diet relative to conventional high carb, low fat diet on weight loss, body composition, nutritional status, and markers of cardiovascular health in obese women. Um, I think this was one, if I recall, that really just out of the gate had a negative bias toward protein. And they even say in their premise, people don't need more protein. And the interesting thing is when we get to the results, I'll show you the data and yet they still conclude, look, here's the data, it shows this. And so we still don't recommend more protein, which is completely counter to what the data show. So again, sometimes you really have to know what you're looking for in research because you would expect especially in a peer reviewed process, those biases would kind of get washed out. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes people just really have that agenda. So this particular study, 100 women, uh, average age, almost 50, 32 BMI, very similar to the last one, 12 week isocaloric study. So again, they're, they want everybody on the same amount of calories. They're just going to have a high protein group and a high carb group. So very similar to what we just looked at. Um, fat stays the same again. So this isn't a carb versus fat, you know, carb versus keto. It's just, we're looking at protein. Um, this is another place where I, I do have to just give props to people who do well-designed studies. This was outpatient. So it was self-reported, but they, they gave them the food and they gave them counseling and they told them how to do things. Um, it's either this study or another one that they even, you know, gave kind of a meal plan, you know, here's what we want you to do, eat these foods at these times and do it this way. So they're trying to get as much standardization as possible. Again, really, really great analytics on the blood and the urine. So the high protein group in this, I think it was, what did I say there? Eight weeks or 12 weeks? Let me back up here. 12 weeks, um, lost 7.6 kilograms of body fat. The higher carb group lost 6.9. So this was about a 9.3% increase loss just because same amount of calories, just because of that shift in protein. And I just buzz right. Sorry, I got to go back here. I want to make sure I got, yeah. So 34% and 17%. So again, almost the same as last time. You're literally getting up really close to that two times the RDA. Um, so so here was their premise. And, and I don't even put this in here because I just thought it was kind of shoddy. But they said, yeah, it was, it was nothing. You don't need more protein. I don't know if nine or 10%, almost 10% extra body fat loss, just because you had an extra meal or meal and a half of protein. I think most people would find that significant. If, if I'm losing, you know, 50 pounds and I could have lost 55 instead. Um, here's where you get into even better benefits. Women with high triglycerides, so their blood panels were already, you know, a little un, or, or the least healthy of all of the subjects, they actually lost twice as much in that group. So the worse your health status, the better the protein does. And again, this is replacing some carbs. So even though you'll always hear me say 
carbs aren't your enemy. Some carbs are great. Carbs have quality as well as quantity considerations. Uh, sometimes if you just don't have enough protein, more carbs aren't helpful. I always use this qualifier. Once your minimum protein levels are met, then you don't need more protein. Then more carbohydrate can be helpful anabolically and metabolically. But going back to the research review and the meta-analyses that we looked at last year, we know that at least two times the RDA should be our minimum goal. And that's what these first two studies took people up to, just about two times or a little more than two times the RDA. So, so these women lost twice as much as body fat if their triglycerides were higher. Abdominal fat loss. So again, the fat loss in your trunk, your visceral intrathecal body fat, which is more correlated to heart disease and heart attacks, that was two times greater in loss rate in a high protein group. And virtually all blood markers, everything from you know blood glucose disposal, insulin sensitivity, all that stuff, you know, favored the higher protein group. So of course the researchers after all that concluded, yeah, it didn't matter. It was a shitty study. We didn't prove anything where again, I think that just kind of shows their bias that it, it may not have showed a hundred percent difference or a 50% difference. And I mean, it actually did, it did show a hundred percent difference in some of these aspects, but um, you know, again, just another check mark in the column of at least getting up to two times the RDA. So study number three, Varying protein source and quantity do not significantly improve weight loss, fat loss, or satiety in reduced energy diets among midlife adults. Another very, I think, misleading title, because I think I will show you that the data prove that they're wrong, like that, that the, the varying the protein source and quantity did improve things. Um, and I'm not even telling you guys where these are from. You can see uh, where this was, all these, you know, this is up in Minnesota. Um, I should have actually looked at that one because that wasn't through a university. I wonder what their bias was, who, who paid them off. Anyway, uh, 18 subjects in this particular, um, which is a, a small study, but they were 40 to 60, average BMI close to 30, five-month study. So this is one that was eight weeks controlled. Then they wanted to do a 12-week ad libitum extension and just kind of see how people did. Uh, so that was almost a little add-on to, uh, to the study. Uh, once again, they supplied the food. They did blood work and DEXA scans, and they broke people up into three groups. So uh, first was the control. So this was the, this was the lower, a lot of stuff going on in this study. Uh, first of all, so the low protein was 15%, which is again, very close to what the RDA would be. Then the mixed protein and the whey protein groups, they moved up to 30%. And you can see, I put the gram equivalency in, in the brackets there. So uh, if, if, if you're on only 15% protein, that's about 63 grams of protein, very, very close to the RDA. That would allow you 55 grams of fat at 30% calories from fat, 225 grams of carbs, <clears throat> which, you know, as, as just, a, if, if you're creating a macronutrient distribution as a coach, you know, even for a calorie deficit, you know, this is a pretty good amount of food, but then you get into the mixed protein where now you're up to two times your RDA. So 124 grams of protein, 54 grams of fat, 165 grams of carb. 
And then in the whey protein study, they took half of the protein as a whey supplement. And when it says mixed protein, that just means varying protein sources like chicken, turkey, eggs, that kind of thing. So the, 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 the moving parts to this are you're looking at doubling the protein from RDA to two times the RDA. And then you're also looking at does whey protein have an impact specifically? Because the, the third group is, you know, the, the, the macronutrient profile for the mixed protein versus a whey is identical, but they're just making half of the protein come from a whey protein. Now, what, what makes whey protein? Because this is a point uh, that I think is probably lost right now with this generation. Uh, if you were back in the 90s, when things like metrics and EAS and everybody was just starting, I mean, I mean, 25 years ago, you didn't walk into a grocery store and see a whole aisle of protein powder. It just didn't exist. You, you just, they just did not exist. And so this whole industry was kind of coming along around then 25 or so years ago. And people were looking at the, the, you know, protein digestibility, corrected amino acid scale and bioavailability and, and does it even matter? And the thing about whey protein is, is, especially if it's, you know, whether it's an isolate or a concentrate, you have a higher density or volume of branched chain amino acids. So you get a better bang for your buck with protein synthesis. So out of every hundred grams of protein from a typical whey, about 25% is branched chain amino acids. So somebody who's looking at protein synthesis from a surgical recovery or some kind of a medical need, you know, that's very meaningful, uh, for athletes trying to retain lean body mass, you know, that's very meaningful. So let's, uh, let's dig in and see what, what they found out here. They actually targeted. So again, just baselining everybody's metabolic rates out. They wanted to have about uh, a pound and a half of weight loss per week, which is pretty aggressive. It's, if you look at the whole spectrum of, of genetic body types. And so here are the results. In the higher carb group, they lost in this study six, six kilos of body fat. In the mixed protein group, so now you've doubled the protein and you've taken that balance out from carbs, you lost about 25% more body fat. So is that significant? Seems pretty significant, 25%. It's even better than 10% in the last study. And then when you compare that to the whey group, just taking half of the protein out to replace the whey, you get another two kilograms of, of body fat loss. So just looking at these, it seems like there's a pretty clear trajectory, more protein check. I got 25%, uh, you know, bang for my buck adding some of that better bioavailability, higher density with branched chain amino acids, check, I get another, um, you know, nice boost. Yet again, their, their conclusion was, yeah, you don't need it. Doesn't do anything for you. It's just silly. So here's uh, I don't know if you can see this wherever your, the videos are, uh, you guys are covering up a little bit for me. Let me move that. Um, so, it, so the black is the control group, which is the higher carb. And then the light gray is the mixed protein. And then the dark gray is a whey protein. So in terms of fat loss, and they measured this at different parts of your body, you can see just like those, um, you know, data I gave you the, the six, eight and 10 pounds, 
um, it's pretty linear. You know, only the arms actually change a little bit, which is interesting, but doesn't change the overall. So that's fat loss. Now look over here at grams of lean body mass loss. You know, how many, you know, what, what did you lose in that, that body mass that was lean body tissue? Um, in the first, let's see, I got to move you guys down here again. Um, well, at least in the trunk and the legs, for some reason, um, with the mixed protein, uh, you, you, you actually had a little bit better result in, in retaining lean body mass. And then you, you see that kind of get eclipsed a little bit, uh, with the, uh, the, the other areas, but here's, here's where I would say that this, this does create one place for us to at least say, Hmm, you know, maybe there's a pro and a con because when you get to the whey protein and you see, you know, how much was actually lost in terms of lean body mass, the, uh, the way may be digested a little too quickly. You know, that's one of the things that this is talked about sometimes with getting things in and out of your stomach and so forth. Um, it might, maybe I'm, I gotta see if I'm even reading that right. So negative. Yeah. So, you know, you're always going to lose a little bit of lean body mass typically, and you want to mitigate that. And I think as you, as you see this across the board, it's, it's, you're not, you're definitely not getting a, a huge favorability for the way, but you're literally talking about, look at, these are grams of lean body mass. These are not pounds and you're at 500 grams. And so you're not even at a, a full pound. So they, they all just, just having more protein. If you look at the control group, you know, here, you know, you're just, you're just always losing a little bit more if you just compare these two out, if you average those two. So let's look at study four, and then we can get to putting these things together. Um, a whey protein supplement increases fat loss. So here's where we get to compare that particular study, even though it showed that, that there was a, a better uh, result for higher protein period, and then using some whey, uh, this one, a whey protein supplement increases fat loss and spares lean body mass and obese subjects, a randomized human clinical study. So they, you know, very similar, another 12 week study, uh, decent amount. This is one that was interesting in that they started out with a really high amount of subjects. And then I think more than half of them washed out for some reason, which is really bizarre. I don't know if they just had super high rigid, um, parameters where you have to check in so often or something like that. But they, they looked at creating that 500 calorie deficit, which is very normal. You know, it's one of the things where I was averaged down to as a, as a standard is about a pound of body fat loss per week, 15% uh, protein again. So looking right at the uh, RDA, they specifically wanted people to get three meals a day into snacks. So they were really trying to zoom in on what dietetically would be considered a norm. And then here's the difference. This is the one where they stayed down at the RDA. They're only getting 15% of their calories and protein, but the, the, the intervention was for subjects to drink a specialized whey fraction, which was even just a little bit higher in leucine 20 minutes before breakfast and 20 minutes before dinner. And the other group would have, you know, a similar supplement, but it wouldn't be as high in protein. So 
their food would have to be a little bit higher in, in overall, you know, protein from their, their food sources or whole food sources. So this, this was a little bit more tightly controlled in that they're just looking at one thing. They're looking at just the infusion of whey versus another protein. And they're, they're only, you know, they're not, they're not comparing high protein to low protein. The interesting thing is when you're only using the RDA, they were down to just 10 grams of supplemented protein pre-breakfast and pre-dinner. So, so you're, since they're only getting about 50 to 60 grams of protein per day, you know, the amount that they were swapping out from whole food, it just wasn't that high. So collectively with what was for breakfast, what was for dinner, um, you know, added to their, their whole food meals was, was just literally one serving of protein powder broken up into two, two meals. But the group with the whey protein, they ended up losing 42% more, more body fat just by adding whey protein in place. So very much like the last study, even though in the last study, they might've lost 500 or so grams are actually comparing the 500 or so on that high scale to the others, you know, maybe they lost an extra quarter of a pound of lean body mass or amino acid content and muscle tissue. You still lost, I think it was 30% or 25% more, um, you know, body fat here was a 42% improvement. And this is why I said some of the parameters matter in terms of this being a, just RDA level versus the other one had the RDA level at the control group, but then they also had with the whey protein supplement, they use that in addition to, so they brought them up to 30% of calories from protein instead of just replacing. So I'm not sure this is something that you could hang your hat on, but in context of the other studies, it certainly affirms that that trend line goes in that direction. So even if, let me, let me see if I'm done here at my, actually, let, let me, let me go through this a little bit here and then, then I'll start comparing. Um, I just threw this in there to show you that they're, they're looking at, you know, these amounts of, of protein, um, you know, fats, you know, this, this was, this was their baseline. So when these people came in and they sat down with their dietitians in the study and they went over like, what are you guys eating? These were the averages, this, this ProLibra, that's the brand name of the protein that they used. This, I mean, look at this as a group of people coming in for this study, and these are averages, so there could be some hard outliers, but very similarly, both groups were eating just over 200 grams of carbs, 75 grams of uh, protein, about 75 grams of fat. So then here's what they did to, to start the diet to start the intervention. The control group, everybody went down because again, this is a calorie deficit type intervention, but these people were actually eating more protein before the study. They were eating on average 75 grams. So now they had them come down to that RDA level, uh, fat, very similar, uh, and then the carbohydrate. But again, the difference is these people were getting the protein supplement in the ProLibra group. So the amount of protein per um, or, or the supplemented protein per kilogram, you know, is, is higher there. So now here are the results, um, out of all the subjects that finished, 
Uh, the weight loss on the, the protein supplement side was 3.82 compared to 3.24, which again, you know, as a sheer number doesn't look that spectacular until you, you do the math. Um, and then you also see that the, the amount of fat loss that this was in, in total fat mass, um, you know, the, the 1.62 to the 2.81, that's where you get the, the 42%. And then they also did volumetrically, they were looking at centimeters lost in that, that held up. Um, let me see here. I want to, I can't remember what this ended up being. Um, so lean body mass lost, look at that half. And that's a huge difference. 1.55 kilograms of lean body mass lost, same amount of protein. These people ate the same amount of protein just because they had the whey protein, they lost half as much. So that contradicts the study that we just looked at, which was almost neutral. They just had the, you know, instead of looking at kilograms, they were down to grams. So when you inflate that scale graphically, it made it look bigger than it is. It, it just wouldn't be that large. Here, it's a true, you know, doubling of the amount of lean body mass maintained just because you added some whey protein. So as I sometimes have to admit to you guys after a research review like this, I think we end up confirming some of the things we already know, which I'll, I'll get to in a second. Uh, I don't think I'm gonna change anybody's mind on anything. Uh, maybe like me, a lot of times when I look at this, it makes me kind of get my butt in gear and just become a little more consistent with the things that I know I should be doing. But even in this last study, look again at what just with an isocaloric change. I mean, just not, not even an isocaloric change because there's the same amount of carbs, protein, and fat. Just by replacing some of the protein with whey, look what you got here in triglycerides. Again, every single marker is dramatically improved. And I think this is for a couple reasons. If you're replacing some animal protein with whey, which you're not going to have this little, you know, even if it's ancillary amounts of saturated fat and so forth, um, you just get something that, that has a higher bioavailability going from a whey protein to an animal protein. You, you literally almost double the amount of amino acid content and protein synthesis power you get from the same amount of protein. So that's why I think you see some of these effects uh, down to the smallest study that looked at, uh, you know, just adding a little bit of protein, but they were at the RDA level to doubling the RDA and then comparing away. Again, if you look at that trend line, what you end up looking at is we are very, very confirmed in the fact that two times the RDA of protein should be the new target. I don't know why the RDA won't change that. Um, you know, this protein summit council has been in action for 20 years or so. Um, I, I do think, and, and I was, I was going to joke, I should have had like a whole wall of my diet doc protein powder behind me. And this, this, this whole research review is just a commercial for selling protein. Um, but, you know, after 25, 30 years doing this, I sometimes find myself just wanting to make it easier for people. And so I'll say, ah, it's okay. You don't have to do that. And yeah, you don't really need protein supplements. If you can get it in your diet, that's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. But, you know, going back to some of the things we were learning 25, 30 years ago when these supplements started coming out, 
because of the better bio, bioavailability and because I, I, I don't think this, this one study addressed it with the gut microbiome, but you know, there is, there is something to do with human evolution in the foods that our bodies have evolved consuming and you know, think of what has been available to us. And so when you're, when you're back into some of those basic dairy proteins, I think that's, you know, that's a factor. I, I think that's why there's a little bit more of an immunity response to those and so forth. They, they, one of the little sidebar comparisons in that first study was whey protein to pea protein, uh, you know, which is a very popular vegetable protein right now, um, you know, plant-based. So I think, I think it stands to reason if you want to lose the most body fat, have the healthiest gut microbiome, retain the most lean body mass, you're going you're gonna to look for at least two times the RDA and for some people more, you're going to probably try and replace some of your animal protein with a very high quality whey protein. Um, and then you know, do some of your own self-experimentation, you know, see how you feel, see if lean body mass changes, things like that. Uh, one of the, one of the things that really surprised me was how even two different markers of systemic inflammation were, were really almost cut in half with, with, you know, whey protein as the single variable. So with that, as I said, I don't think we're going to just change the world with today's session, but it does make me, like I said, want to, want to make sure I'm not getting too lazy with my own nutrition and, and that, which I recommend to my clients. Um, I, I think, as I mentioned in my post today, it's one of the first things that coaches and people say, eat more protein, eat more protein, eat more protein. And then you've got the dietetics crowd who says, no, no, you don't need that. And so there's this little controversy that's never quite settled but I, I hope that's no longer an issue. And then perhaps looking at, at quality for some of these reasons would matter. Thoughts, questions, Charles, you're jumping in. Yeah, I, I guess I wasn't expecting to go first, but <laughs> you jumped right on me. <laughs> um, okay, so um, just for a clarif clarification. Um, so you're saying that two times RDA, regardless of your of your body size, and I'm assuming um, also gender uh, does not um, is not taking into account. Um, you know, obviously the you know way we uh, you know process foods and hormones and things like that. Um, you know, I'm I'm not sure if there's a difference there, but I just wanted to get some clarification on that part. Yeah. So I'm gonna run this by your current body weight. Um, so divide your body weight by 2.2 to get our kilograms. So if you were eating the RDA right now, you would have about 85 grams of protein a day. And if you double that, you're, you're looking at about 168, 170. Um, and if you even just, if you just average 150, um, you know, that's still about 1.75, 1.8 times the RDA. So that's, that's fine. Um, but again, like you know, that, that's me, that's me trying to make you, let's say, say I just did it again. I said, I'm trying to make okay. it for my clients. Like I, I said, you two times your day would be about 170. And my first reaction was, oh, Charles, that's okay. You can go down to 150. That's fine. Well, 140 is probably still good. 125 will get you in the door. But literally, if we go by this research and you were to consume about 170 grams of protein a day, 
and it's it's not gender specific. I, I think you could make the argument that women typically with a little bit less lean body mass per body mass, you know, may not need quite as much, but, you know, we also have the spectrum of body types, you know, so some ectomorphs like coach Tracy there, you know, she burns through so many calories that she, she may need more, a higher percentage than you or me. But yeah, like if you were to have about 170 grams a day, you may hit some of these thresholds that they're talking about. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I actually feel a little stronger. I'm getting a little bit leaner. I, you know, my calories are the same, but I feel like I'm getting a little bit more bang for my buck. And this is from these studies from a 9% advantage all the way to a 42% advantage. Like that's, that's real stuff. Like that's real extra progress you could be getting if you're consistent with that. Okay. Okay. And, um, and, and so I'll probably, it might've been a stupid question because um, when I think of the recommended uh, daily allowance that comes from the government, um, I always think of like sort of like a fixed amount. Like, you know, this is, this is the minimum threshold that you're supposed to, supposed to get and, and they don't take into account things like body weight. It sounds like the calculator that you're using and the actual recommendation is based off of your, your body weight. Um, so I think I, I just assumed that it was a, flat across everybody needs to get this minimum number of protein to survive well they they try that as kind of a foundation like you know everybody should have this much vitamin c so they don't get scurvy everybody needs this you know to not die and so protein is the same where you know the rda initially is definitely this is what you need to to really not have health issues and that's why the protein summit council was created was people needed to say, okay, that's, that's okay to survive, but what about really thriving? What, what, what levels can we find there? Gotcha. And then, yeah, it does have to be, and this is a question and it's funny because as somebody who creates curriculum for different organizations and so forth, there is always this question. It's like, well, is it times body weight or lean body mass estimated lean body mass? Because if I was overweight, let's say I weighed 400 pounds, you know, what I need to say, okay, that means my protein, you know, I, I all of a sudden need to eat three extra chicken breasts just because I'm overweight. Whereas my lean body mass is not scaled that high. So I think that's where you have to just have some logic and say, you know, for the average body shape. And if you're, if your body weight, because of body fat mass really puts you out on the bell curve, then you can probably start squeezing in toward the center um, but those are those the little, little nuances that you have to keep in mind, um, because it, you, you do want to tailor it to yourself. Perfect. But yeah, that would be an, it'd be an interesting thing to try. I I've mentioned this before when we've talked about protein in the past, I have, I've done DEXA scans. I've got an in body and, you know, even with the intern inter rate of reliability, you know, it's, it's always been very, very standard for me. Um, if I get below two times the RDA for, for even just a couple months, I start losing lean body mass. And I've seen that I will typically almost as kind of a threshold, I'll drop about five pounds of lean body mass. If I, if I eat a little bit lower protein for a couple months. And then as soon as I come back up, my training's not changing. Calories aren't necessarily changing, but as soon as I get my protein back up to two times the RDA, I regain that five pounds of lean body mass. And I like the fact that even if I'm missing the mark, I don't seem to keep losing, you know, I don't lose five and then 10 and then 15, 
but it's, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big health difference. If you got an extra five pounds of lean body mass, I mean, think of that metabolically active tissue and what that's doing for your health and your energy and certainly for calorie burning. So, you know, again, it's one of those things I wish we didn't have to keep our eye on the ball that closely, but if it's really your goal to maintain the most lean body mass and lose the most body fat, then you definitely want to try to get up to that level. Uh, and yeah, and Tracy, you know, that's another thing that was addressed here that I didn't pull out. Uh, one or two of the studies actually did have some surveys about satiety because we know protein does help with fullness because it slows down digestion and, and all of that. Um, most of the time protein alone doesn't seem to have that much of a factor. If, if you're really, really careful, as I know you are with your food and you're intuitive with how you feel. I think you will feel that difference. You know, for most people, it's the biggest change of satiety comes with carbs and fats. If you get your carbs way too low, you're just going to have such low blood sugar that you're constantly starving that way and so forth. So I, I do think for most people who may be really under eating protein, if you're only eating 40 or 50 grams a day, as we see some clients come to us, you know, then getting them up to even just above the RDA, like they really do feel sated. Those of us already eating a good amount, you know, that one extra meal of protein, I'm not sure you'd feel that much, but I think somebody like you, Tracy, really could, especially in a calorie deficit. Can I ask one more thing? Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, so one of the things I always, I, I think about is the balance between uh, the animal, animal protein and then the, and the uh, supplemented protein like what is there a, a a good ratio um and you know part part another reason why i'm thinking about it for all the reasons that you just kind of went over but with um supplemented protein like you know whey protein is you know it's usually sweet right mm -hmm. and and sometimes it feels like it could sort of even like trigger appetite even more versus like if i eat some meat that doesn't really mm -hmm. trigger my my appetite so uh, i just wanted to know your thoughts on the balance between the two, if there's an ideal ratio that we should be looking at. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to say that my anecdotal evidence just in how I have felt and how I've managed it really does align well with these studies where with that mixed protein, they replaced half the protein with, you know, whey. So they got like two servings and then another smaller study, you know, it was, it was at least two servings, but two half servings. And I, I, like you believe that for satiety and so forth, it, it just matches well with what we know about digestion too. a purely liquid meal, you know, protein powder, slam and a shake that is truly in and out of your stomach in 30 minutes, whereas some whole food protein could still be getting digested for two or three hours. So I, I think you do have to be smart with your protein powder and include some carbs with that. So almost every single morning I have oatmeal, fruit and protein powder. But even that, I mean, even though you've got that high quality, dense carbohydrate, I mean, I'm pretty hungry within two and a half, three hours, really hungry versus later in the day when I have a cup of rice and five ounces of, you know, turkey breast, you know, like I'm not hungry for three or four hours. And, and I almost still feel like heavy in my gut because that, that food is still being digested. So I think just having that known quantity, because I don't want to try and eat 150 grams of protein a day from 
chicken, 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 chicken. Like I, I, I do like you, I like to have a serving or two of, of animal protein that does just you know, make a better whole food meal. But other times I really do want a little bit lighter gut load and I don't want to have to sit down and eat all that food. So the next time I use protein is post-workout. And that's where I'll typically use just a scoop of protein powder, maybe mix a little bit of water, you know, or yogurt, you know, to make it like a pudding type consistency. And then I'll crumble up a rice cake or two because it's post-workout and I want to get some carbs in there, or maybe it's another little bit of fruit on with that. And I know I'm going to have my dinner within 90 minutes to two hours. And so I've got that metabolic activity of having just trained Plus it's another liquid or powder meal. So it's not going to last long, but I've, I'm just ready for that next meal. So I'm not going to be just starving, but I, I really do find if I get two servings a day like that, then it allows me to only need two whole proteins. So it's like powder, whole food, powder, whole food. And that's my day. You know, I get four servings of protein a day that gets me up there. It just really works well. And even in contest diets where I'm really bringing my body fat level down low I even find when I'm just doing that scoop of protein between meals, if, if I'm in that same flow of just timing it well, and just knowing that I'm going to need another meal in a couple hours, then it'll, it'll work. Thank you. You are welcome. Great, great questions. Amanda, um, some symptoms if you're not getting enough. I don't know if you'll really feel anything other than just you know, like getting weak, you know, just feeling like your muscle tissues leaving you like, uh, you know, I certainly know like my, my um, experiences doing vegetarian studies. I did a self-study one time for six months being purely vegan. Then I did another one for a year being purely vegan. And once I got past that eight or nine month mark of just not having enough protein, like I was just getting soft and weak. And I like, man, I am really losing muscle tissue here. The first study I did I was very careful to get 75 grams of protein a day. I was very careful to make sure I had the right essential amino acid, you know, um, you know, markers with that. I, I was almost doing it as a, as an educated vegan would, and, and it was only six months and I felt fine. Once I went for that year and I intentionally did the opposite instead of being very controlled, I wanted to see what just the average vegetarian would experience. Like, I don't want to have to count every gram of protein. That's why I'm a vegan. That's, you know, so I'm just, I'm going to Subway and getting a six inch sub, veggie sub, and I'm just eating whatever I want. I'm just not eating protein, man. Like I said, by the eighth, ninth, 10th month, I was feeling almost sick. And then as soon as I started getting my protein back up specifically with some animal protein, it was like just life being breathed right back into me. So again, anecdotal, one, one guy, two case studies, but um, I, I think this is where you almost have to trust the, your own self-experimentation. Um, for example, you're a couple of weeks away from a contest. We've got, we got the rest of the summer to go. We may experiment. We may say, hey, now that you're this lean, let's take protein up another 20 grams for a couple of weeks and see how you feel, see if body comp changes. So, you know, we're, we're in line with good studied research and, and now- you're, you're going to be a great test subject because you're so controlled with your, your diet right now. Hope that helped. But uh, as I said, not, not anything revolutionary other than kicking the butt just to make sure you're getting enough protein, especially if you're struggling a little bit, not feeling your best, 
not losing as fast as you think, maybe having some cravings, maybe not feeling as satisfied. Just, you know, try and ratchet those levels up there and, and see what happens.